Hello and welcome back to our Ghosts of El Paso game. We are having a very good time. I'm super excited to see where uh, where things go after that ending of of uh, the last episode. Uh, but we will uh, we will get back to it in just a second. Before we do, I will invite you to come join us over on the actual place. That is our Discord server where we love to hang out and talk about the show with our fans and listeners. We also have our guest GM Jason here who has the the gauntlet is the name of his discord and it is also a very cool place with that Jason you want to go ahead and uh, get us back into this I do indeed I am also very interested to find out what is going to happen to Lola Navas after you opened the wardrobe where the corset is yeah but we'll find out in a moment we're Ah. gonna check in with Jack (laughs) Walker first jerk (laughs) <laughs> Jack Walker, I'm going to fast forward a bit and put you straight in the root cellar at this point. All right. The root cellar is accessed via a trap door behind the bar in the cantina. It's cramped, dark, smells of earth. It's currently storing the corset's victims, more on them in a bit, but has been used for many other purposes over the years. Let's paint the scene, everyone. What down here makes us think that Lola and Diamond Dave have alternative sources of revenue? <laughs> Let's see here. Hmm. In, in a root cellar. Hmm. I think there is a a box full, like a crate full of guns. Nice. I think on top of this crate, there is a cipher of some kind, maybe with some code, as in it's supposed to be like a hidden location for something. Hmm. Okay. So it's like a, a larger operation than just what they yeah. got here. Yeah. Okay. I think they deal in multiple things. So like they've got these guns, you know, for some reason. I think that they have, um, what kind of drugs did they have back in this era? Oh, opium. Uh, opium. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. I, they've got crates of opium. My vice is morphine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Crates of opium. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Opium's good. That'd be a lot of opium. Yeah. yeah. They got opium down here. Yeah. This would be more of an aspect of all the previous ones, but I will say that what they have here is a... They have a tunnel here in this cellar where perhaps their contacts might come in in the dead of night to leave their goods. Mm. Ooh, I like it. That's really I like good. That's, good. I like That's that. really good. That's really great context for the for the threat, for the for the mystery. It's so good, in fact. I'm going to let you have it as a clue. Um, Andrew, if you'll note, note the tunnel as a clue. All right. The existence of it. But Jack, I think you would probably be very focused on the bodies, which are currently there. Yes. Um, I'll remind you that poor Luann, uh, her dried up guts are hanging on her, the front of her, her shirt as she lays out there in front of you. Yeah. And poor, poor Sylvester is sliced and diced by whalebone and... Marta, of course, is all rictus and frozen solid. What do you do? I think he just... He's standing there and he's surveying them in the... I'm guessing the light down here is poor. There's no lantern or anything, right? Um, We'll say Diamond Dave gave you one. Okay, I got a lantern. Uh, He's holding up the lantern, seeing these three, raises an eyebrow. He begins to walk up and down the row. He's looking very closely at them and I think after after the initial look he starts with who was the who was the guy uh, uh, not Sylvester Sylvester 
Uh, he, I think he'll reach out. He will place a finger, single finger, on uh, on Sylvester's forehead. Touch him. He, he's trying to reach out to, to possibly tell something about about this recently deceased because, well, it's his part and parcel. It's what he does. You have a move called Death's Morbid Tongue. I do, yes. We'll talk about the move in a bit, but essentially this is what it does. As soon as you touch Sylvester, his eyes snap open. (gasps) (gasps) Oh, no. And he just starts saying, My face! What's it doing to my face? Oh, my God! (sighs) What do you do, Jack? Um, I think... (laughs) I think in this moment, uh, after the connection has been made, he removes his finger. It's not required anymore. And he he looks at him very, uh, r- rather, rather sternly. And I think even his voice might drop one or two octaves. He goes, Hearken to me, spirit. Tell me of your passing. Go ahead and make the information move with... Yeah, it says the move says in addition to some other things it can do, you can interrogate corpses as if they were side characters. Go ahead and roll the information move with sensitivity, and let's see how you do. All right. Is this three or just two d sixes? Two d sixes. Yeah, two d six plus your sensitivity, because I don't think your conditions are going to affect it. Unless you can get three d six and roll with advantage, if you can work one of your items into the roll somehow. But. Um, actually, I think I can. I did already roll this, but can I explain how? I think. Sure, please do. Yeah. I think in that action of saying, "Hearken to me, spirit," like like, pay attention here. He reaches into his under his shirt and he pulls out the necklace. Recall that I said I had the necklace with the wooden ornament on it. Mm-hmm. This is an addition that he did not have in his previous life, and what the symbol is. This is a. Um, it's actually an Ouroboros symbol. Oh, interesting. Okay. And yeah. and this, like, I chose that to be, like, you know, the, the spirit should recognize this as, oh, you're, you're like a heavyweight here. Yeah, no, I like that. That's very good. So uh, just to keep it all mechanically sound, it has to be something that comes from your personal quarters. Oh, I'm is sorry. This like, is it, well, it's okay. Maybe it's, like, tucked into your book on the occult or something. That might be kind of cool. Or you um, could just uh, have the book. Yeah. Or you just have the book, you know? He reaches into the um, uh, into the into the um, into the rucksack that I um, that I said he had previously, and pulls out the uh, this book on the occult, and he shows him. Mm, great, yeah. He shows him the same, or he shows them the uh, this Ouroboros symbol in the book. Nice. So you can mark that, and if you mark it, you get to roll with advantage, means which means you roll three d six and take the two best, and then add sensitivity. I had a one and a seven on my previous, and I will roll one more time. Wait, you oh, mean sorry. a one and... I'm sorry, one and a six. One and a, one and a six, six, making seven. And the, the third one's a two. <laughs> okay, so you got a nine plus two is 11? Yes. This might be a fun chance to see how the, some of the game's rules work. If you wanted to bump that to a 12, you could get what's called a mastermind clue in addition to your regular clue. Oh. And mastermind clue. Now, this doesn't matter so much for the two shot. This hasn't really have any valence. But if this was a continuing campaign, the mastermind clues 
You might recall when I introduced the game back in the first episode, I said that there's a criminal mastermind that's actually behind some of the stuff in El Paso. This would be our first hint of that as, as an audience. Hmm. But that's up to you. And it also is a chance to mark the Janus mask and tell us a little bit more about your character, too. Ah. As an option. It's optional, of course. Okay, Ver- versus the... Versus the other, what other one was it? Well, so uh, what I was saying is, so you have a, you have an eleven. You right. could bump it up to a twelve if you use the Janus mask, essentially. You already have a full success, though. So you already have a full success, I but do. you could get a, you uh, could get a better success if you want. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll save the I'll say I'll say really you want to do it? Yeah, we're gonna get to see how mechanics do work. Do it, do it. All right, I'll do it. It's a one shot, live a little. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll bump it up. I'll bump it up yes. a little. I'll start with the mastermind clue that you're, that you're entitled to for bumping it up. So for people listening, the way this works is uh, the mastermind clues, as the hunters, as these happen, the hunters maybe sometimes aren't even aware of what's going on with the mastermind clues. But as audience members and as players, as play group, we would be aware that the mastermind is getting deeper and deeper into their plan. And eventually the hunters are going to have to deal with the mastermind. And so by bumping this up, you get your first mastermind clue, which means we get to reveal a little bit of what's really happening. In fact, the character who actually sees it is Reverend Potter, because Reverend Potter is still in the cantina looking out the window, maybe, say, with this other woman who we haven't met yet. But the reason why you see them is because they stop, because one of these people who you see on the street actually turns and cast their eyes in the general direction of where Jack Walker is, though you don't know that. But here's what you see. You see a woman, and she's she's dressed in very, very fine dark blue gown or you know dress with a bustle. She looks very wealthy, jewelry. And she's walking with a man who is in a train conductor uniform, and his neck is damaged. He has marks that look like burns on top of swollen and bruised flesh. They're walking together, arm in arm, and she says, I believe I'll have that train come right through here, don't you think, Conductor? Right in the middle of Santa Fe Street. Or, sorry, this is San Francisco Street. Well, no matter. Wouldn't you say that would be something? just straight down the middle. And the man with the horrible neck wounds says, "Uh, Yes, I think that would be just the thing. The passengers would have no trouble disembarking then. And then he stops at the exact moment that Jack Walker would have touched Sylvester. At the exact moment, Lola Navas is choking as the air is being pulled out of her lungs. All three of these things are happening at the exact precise moment. Miranda, Lola is... (gasps) Her breath is leaving her body. What do you do? Oh, God. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Probably swear. I probably start with the swearing. And once I get that out of the way, I think I'm going to come over to her and... I don't know. Do the Heimlich maneuver? Is that a is, <laughs> is that a thing that's known how to do at this time period? Don't. I'm gonna try to like open up her mouth and like try to see because I think she maybe she's choking. 
Yeah, okay, I'm into that. Uh, so basically just try to force her to breathe. It sounds like what you're doing. I, I'm into that. Yeah, I like this look, is... I try to like pry her mouth open to like look in, see if there's anything there, and then just like, <laughs> just like try to make her breathe. <laughs> it's daytime, but because you're in the presence of the corset, we're gonna do the night move instead of the day move. Ooh. The night move says, tell me what you're afraid will happen if you fail right now. I'm afraid she'll die. And I will tell you how it's worse than that. It's worse than that. She will die, and you will die. <gasps> oh, wonderful. Awesome. Love to hear it. You have the option of running away right now and letting her die, or you can roll the dice. Nah, I'm going to roll the dice, man. I'm going to lose my character early. It's fine. I got a backup. <laughs> You're going to be rolling with sensitivity, and let's see how it goes. Where the frick is my sensitivity? I don't have any of that. <laughs> okay. Uh, I rolled a six. A <laughs> six. <laughs> oh my! You can you can use a mask, right? I'm Maybe. gonna. Have before to you do, before you do, you are. I'm in control for a bit. Yeah. Okay. You are des. You are desperately trying to like see if she has a blocked airway to see like what's going on. You can actually see her physically shrinking inside her corset, inside her bustle dress. <gasps> you can see her chest collapsing. Her ribs cracking. You can oh hear God. them. Oh, no, I don't like that. As the air is violently expelled from her body, she's just like. <laughs> and as she collapses, the lights go out. <gasps> oh, no. There is a tall figure standing behind you. We see the figure, but you never do. Okay. The tall figure is seven feet tall pale white flesh long arms completely bald naked if not for wearing the corset this entity just reaches out for you in the dark and it's the last we ever hear of Miranda Wilder <laughs> oh man oh boy unless you put on the Janus mask yeah, I'm you gonna have, put on the mask. It's fine. You can Sounds do good. past, future, or there's the beauty mask as well. Don't you take that beauty mask away from me. <laughs> I feel like it's gonna be like the bad player or the bad character kind of thing to take. That's just my intuition, so I want it. <laughs> but you can have it because you have first dibs. Which do you want to mark? Do I have to mark these in order? Past has to be marked in order. Future okay. you can mark any of the future that you wish. Oh, did we ever did um, didn't Wesley Sorry, mark a mask too? I did, but I thought we were going to come back to that for me. Because... Uh, yeah, we'll come back. To, yeah, we'll come okay. back to whatever. Okay, cool. Yeah, we're, we're not done with that scene okay. yet. So. I just want to know which one you're marking, and then we'll we'll kind of pick up from there. Miranda, be thinking about your mask. So I'm going to cut over to Maximilian, who we haven't seen in a minute. Maximilian. Yeah. You're in Hi. the apartment. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The apartments are a dozen rooms and living areas connected by a U-shaped hallway in the second story of the dance hall. The most spacious apartments have windows that look out over San Francisco Street. The smallest ones don't have windows at all. Each room has a comfortable bed with silk sheets, an armoire, and plush rugs. The largest rooms also have bathtubs. Looking around, how do we know these apartments are a real step up in life for most of these women? I think uh, maybe in... Some of the rooms, maybe you'll uh, you'll see some some kind of evidence of their past life. So 
like maybe they have their own personal trunks which are clearly not as nice they're usually out of the way and not seen but if you ever did see one you would know that maybe they came from elsewhere and it wasn't as great i will say rather than uh hardwood floors as would be usual almost every if not every one of these rooms has uh carpet and or rugs on the floor it was evidence of their old life how, how do we know this is a step up in life okay uh, I'm thinking maybe there's at least one or two pairs of really, like, worn-out shoes beside much newer, uh, more expensive mm. shoes. Yeah. I think uh, one of them... I think there's a, uh, a picture of a very large family in front of some, like, really run-down-looking farmhouse. Max. If I can call you Max. You can. <laughs> <laughs> You see one of the Russell sisters. You, you, you've met them before. Uh, we'll say this is... I can't remember which one was downstairs, but we'll say this one is Hannah. If I get that wrong, we'll say Hannah went back upstairs. Um, yeah. <laughs> but she has brown hair pulled up in a bun. She's wearing a white dress with heavy lace on the bottom and small white flowers embroidered along the neck and shoulders. She's actually the younger of the two Russell sisters. And she says, Oh, M- Mr. Conrad, I... I'm really glad you came by. I've I've been thinking a lot about those about those land leases. You know, Sarah and I we've been doing real good here at the Red Rock. Uh, Miss Novice and Diamond Dave they're very very good to us, and we've saved up quite a bit. And well, I I think I think, and she gets a little quiet. She's like, I'd love to move on. I think and find some some place else to 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 put down stakes. If you know what I mean. Max gets a really big smile on his face and he just says, um, oh, well, uh, of course, of course, feel free to, uh, he kind of raises his eyebrows a little bit, uh, stop on by my, uh, my wagon sometime and I can, uh, I can, uh, draft that up for you. She says, tell me, <laughs> you have a track called Suspicion. I do. Yes. Mm. Yeah. She says, how come I'm able to get so much land for such a small amount of money? I mean, we're talking hundreds of acres. It's incredible. Well, you see, my father, he he made his money in oil, and he bought vast tracts of land with the intention of trying to douse for oil and find the next big well. Um, but when he passed away and passed on his vast fortune to me, I decided that that land could be put to such better use if I was able to give it to those who would help settle this land and make this country more connected and greater. It just seemed like such a waste for me to keep it all to myself. And he kind of smiles at her. It's incredible that someone with access to so many resources would go about in a wagon pulled by two mules. <laughs> and he just wow. kind of, he puts on his best like fake smile because, you know, she's catching on to things. And he just says, well, you see, I felt that it was better to have the personal touch. I want to make sure that the right people are getting these deeds. It wouldn't do for competitors to, you know, fake me out. Go ahead and mark your suspicion track. Will do. 
<laughs> and when that maxes out, uh, th things come to a head. Things with happen. The yes, yeah, yeah. Things happen. But for now, you've got one mark on it. Mm -hmm. um, but let's keep going, though. You are going to pump her for information, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, he kind of course corrects and he says, um, But uh, we can always talk about that later. Like I said, stop on by. I was coming here to ask you if you've um, seen anything recently. Somebody as bright and um, forward-thinking as yourself. Um, I'm sure that you uh, pick up on things. She's not... Well, <clears throat> I mean, Sarah and I, we're, we're real torn up about Luann. I don't know why she would just run off like that. So she doesn't know she's dead. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean... Lola says Luann got an urgent telegram from back home, but why would she leave without telling anyone? And Lola and Diamond Dave are acting awfully strange, too. I walked up behind Diamond Dave yesterday, and he practically jumped out of his skin and then hissed at me like some kind of crazed polecat. <laughs> uh, More than well, normal. <laughs> he, he might have something to be riled up about. I mean, I'm sure that Luann, you know, had a reason to leave, but... It might not be what she or your benefactors say it is. Did you notice anything off about her before she left? Make the information move with uh, presence and yeah, 2d6 plus presence. All right. That's my good stat. That is an eight because I rolled six on the dice. Fantastic. I'm going to give you a complication. Okay. The complication on the, for your seven to nine, because you, you, you get your clue, but there's a complication with the clue, either something about the clue itself or something in the getting of the clue. And in this case, it's in the it's in the acquiring of the clue, okay. which is uh, she's happy to tell you what she knows, but she will be stopping by your wagon tonight to, okay. to make an investment. And she wants to look over your documents. And okay. uh, so you better have your stuff ready to go. Okay. Uh, but here's your clue, though. She says... Well, I, I guess she says, can I, can I tell you something if you promise you won't tell Diamond Dave or Miss Novice? Oh, of course. I would, I would never break that confidence. Okay. Well, Luann, Luann knows that Diamond Dave and Miss Novice are engaged in illegal activities here at the dance hall and she was going to take I think she was trying to blackmail them she was going to tell the authorities what they're up to maybe they maybe they maybe they killed her and fed her body to the pigs or something I don't know maybe she's not maybe she didn't run away at all or maybe she got scared maybe it just became too much for her but Diamond Dave and Miss Navas are as they're as they're as crooked as a I don't know something. They're as, <laughs> as, <laughs> they're as crooked as a bent cactus. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. They're they they're as they're as crooked as a willow tree in a rainstorm. And <laughs> and and I think I think Luann I think Luann was gonna say something. I think I think she was I think I think I think that's what happened to her. But you can't you can't tell anyone that. And he just like kinda like pats her on the hand like maybe like sitting down or something he just pats her on the hand and he just says um of course of course i would i will keep this between you and i he says now 
Let's talk about those land deeds. And, <laughs> but that's your clue. The clue is that Luann knew what knew what Diamond Dave and Lolo were up to, and she was she was going to sing to the authorities. All right. So let me go check in with Reverend Potter, though. This woman, this very fashionable woman, doesn't look like does not look like she belongs in El Paso. She has an English accent, for one thing. Oh. And she says, I gather you are a part of the local clergy? Uh, yes, uh, good morning, ma'am. I was just wanting to introduce myself. My name is Reverend Potter. I kind of make it my business to know people in town and, you know, so I can maybe assist whenever the need may arise. Reverend Potter. My name is Lady Antonia Eurydice Bathsheba Hargrave Steele. I'm from London. Catch up on. <laughs> I'm from London. I'm a paranormal researcher. I've heard fascinating stories about your little town, and I'm here looking into them. Oh well, that's a uh, that's quite a quite a ways. I didn't realize news spread so far. I guess. Oh, this wounded knight business is the talk of occult circles around the world, but I'm sure you have no way of knowing that. <laughs> I myself have a keen interest in all matters related to the supernatural, and I even started an informal paranormal research group in London back in, well, let's just say it was a number of years ago. She leans in close and she says, I am aware of the corset, of course. It might surprise you to learn there are a number of artifacts just like it all over the world. People in my circles call them the objects of power. There's the St. Petersburg mirror, the Mumbai brazier, the Waitley camera, the Torville quill, that jewelry box in Mexico City, and now our little friend, the corset, which has made its way to your charming little spot. <laughs> he, he kind of swallows nervously. <laughs> and says yes well uh, we're he kind of pulls his collar we're trying to uh, sort that out I suppose everyone seems a little on edge I myself can detect the presence of the corset I know it's here I can feel its malignancy in the air it's like a it's like a soup an evil murky soup that one has to wade through like the heat. Well, uh, ma'am, if I do say so myself, it sounds like you seem to be a bit of an expert in this area. And he kind of like sits down at the table <laughs> and uh, says, you wouldn't happen to have any uh, advice for getting rid of such a soup? <laughs> Make a... Good soup. <laughs> Make the information move with Bad presence. <laughs> Gotta get rid of that soup. <laughs> It's bad soup. <laughs> oh no, you said it with presents? Yeah. Maybe that's the title, Bad Soup. <laughs> Regardless, it's going to be a failure. I have one presence. I rolled a three, so that is a four. <laughs> uh, it's not so great. No. I think things are about to get a little tricky. Oh no. She says... Reverend Potter, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but, well, if you'll forgive my bluntness, 
But I'm afraid to tell you that everyone who is currently in this establishment, with the exception of myself, of course, is going to be dead before the next sunrise. The corset has marked you all as its victims, I'm sorry to say. I am protected, and she touches that medallion I mentioned around her neck. Out of character, it's like an Egyptian Ankh medallion. Ooh. She says, I I come with protection, but I, I'm afraid even your protection, pointing at your collar or cross or whatever you have, <laughs> is not going to be quite enough for what's coming. The penalty here is you are taking a condition marked by the corset. Oh, no. You, if you <laughs> don't bump up the roll. You can, now, you can bump up the roll and avoid this, of course, but... And get a clue as well. Hey, you know, um, hey, Hannah, I don't want to die. <laughs> <laughs> just just want to point that out. You're not just you know, dooming you here. Okay, so would I have to mark um, a mask to, to uh, bump it indeed. up? Okay. Past, future, or beauty. Seems like everyone is uh, marking masks right now. <laughs> Actually excited hmm. about mine. My... I decided on mine, by the way. I, I, I have to do mine in order because it's from the past for me. So. Do I need to pick the mask right now? Just tell me that you're doing it. That's enough for now. Yeah. Okay. I will go ahead and mark a mask because I don't want to. I don't want to doom everybody. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Very good. She says, "Yes, I am very, very knowledgeable in these things. Like I said, I have dedicated my adult life to research of the paranormal and occult, and I established an institute in London dedicated to that very purpose. I am something of an expert in the world when it comes to these matters. I am, of course, very happy to help anyone who finds themselves in a rather provincial way with no particular expertise in this area. She says, Look around you, Reverend Potter. I think what you'll want to focus on in this investigation is the details. The details are what is going to save everyone's life in this town. And here's a detail that I've noticed since walking in. Have you noticed, for example, you clearly have not, that every surface, every reflective surface in this room, and I suspect in the entire building, is cloudy. And indeed, she points to a mirror which is cloudy. She points to the mirror behind, uh, or the big like kind of bank of mirrors behind the bar, which is, you can now see behind the glass bottles, quite cloudy. There's a brass spittoon, which is very, very dull. It's normally quite shiny. Mm-hmm. And you'll even notice there's a cloudiness in the fine cordial glasses that Diamond Dave keeps behind the bar. She says, that's the sort of thing that doesn't escape one's eye. She says, tapping her eye. One who's prepared to know how to look. Now, do I understand fully what sort of power is being expressed here by the corset? No, I do not. But that's the fun of it. You're going to figure it out, aren't you, Reverend? Because you have an obligation to this town. Right, I, uh, (laughs) he's kind of like, oh gosh, like he starts pulling at his collar again. Right, I do aim to get this sorted. Yes. Well, I have rooms at the Golden Spoke if you need me. I was going to stay at that jackalope place, but it was absolutely filthy. (sighs) Rude. (laughs) She she goes. (laughs) (laughs) She gives a 
flourish and excuses herself. Uh, but that's your clue. Reflective surfaces in the red rock are all clouded. Hmm. Interesting. It's called the Dusty Jackalope. It's in the name. <laughs> Let me give you your clue really quickly, Jack, that you get from Sylvester Stanton. Something he saw before he died. He said, The, the only thing I remember, I... I kept having visions. Visions. Visions of a copper bathtub overflowing with blood. It was so vivid, I, I could taste the blood in my mouth. A precursor to... And here, blood begins pumping out of his mouth because it's been skewered by whalebone. I don't know what it means, but I think it was a warning of some sort. What's going to become of me? Where am I going from here? Jack reaches a hand out and he places it on this guy's forehead and he says hmm the wrongful spirit has broken my law and will pay go now and be in peace fantastic uh, your clue your clue is the vision of the of the copper tub filled with blood okay Jason I did want to ask don't I have to do the narration thing since I marked the mask uh, yeah, we can we, we can actually do that whenever we want. Uh, if you okay. want to do it now, you certainly can. Yeah. It's up, it's up I, to you guys. We've I got didn't... three of them coming. Would it make sense yeah. to maybe do them all at the beginning of the next episode? That's fine. We definitely me. can. Yeah, that's certainly okay. fine. Um, all we right. can definitely do that. That's very good. Let's just wrap up this day phase with Miranda. On a seven to nine, normally I have control of the narration, but I'm going to let you have it, Miranda. Uh, basically, just describe how you save Lola. Uh, we, we rewind, none of that, like, darkness ghoul stuff happened. It's just you saving Lola. So what happens? Well, I tried to see if she was choking. She didn't seem to be choking. So now I think that maybe her corset is, is like, the corset is infecting her corset. So I take it off of her. I, like, literally, like, I just, like, rip her, like, the back of her dress open and, and just, like, untie her corset to see if that helps. Nice. It does help. Elizabeth Swan. Oh. I'm going to give you a condition called short of breath. I think you're going to just be short of breath until you have a chance to clear that, which you might next time we play. Talk about how to clear conditions later on. But for now, Lola, she kind of like is catching her breath and she takes your hand and she says, it is utterly evil. You've got to help us, Miranda. I know we've always been professional rivals of sorts, but... This thing is bigger than all of us. It's bigger than our bars. It's bigger than dance halls. It's bigger than El Paso. The Vigilance Committee has to stop it. And we'll conclude the day phase there. All right. All right. Let's click over to our next phase, which is the dusk. The dusk is just a little kind of preparation for the night, basically. Okay. If anybody has any moves that resolve in the dusk, we can do those. But if not, that's, uh, that's I fine. I do not. I do not. I do not. Oh, I do have a dusk thing. Oh, uh, what does it say? It says each dusk phase choose one. Oh. It's it's uh it has to do with my saloon, but uh mm. I I learn an interesting I learned something interesting about an active threat. Ask the keeper any question you like and they will answer truthfully and completely or in the form of a clue, their choice. You gain something a drunk patron left behind or used as a tip. Uh, say what it is and give it to another, or and give it to another hunter. Nice. Uh, go ahead and decide what you want to do, and then we'll role play it in the night phase. Yeah. 
Um, so this is like, you know, when I'm listening to gossip at night at my saloon or whatever. Mm. Uh, mm. So I I want to learn something interesting about an active threat. Okay. I'll remember that for next time. <laughs> it says I can ask uh, a question. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. So well, the question um, I want to know is, does this ghost have to do with something that the owners of the other bar did? Noted. Okay. So now we're going to do a paint the scene question about the wounded knight itself, because I mentioned in the beginning that the wounded knight is not just ghosts. It's all kinds of weird shit while it's active in the community mm-hmm. at night, especially. So the wounded knight is, this is an opportunity to learn a little bit more about the town, about the community through the lens of this supernatural phenomenon that happens every six years. And I'm going to start with the children of El Paso. In what ways are the children of El Paso already more naturally sensitive to the supernatural realm, subtly affected by the wounded knight? Oh, I like this. Mm. I think that they can see in the dark better than everyone else. (laughs) I think they can project their emotions. And that is probably why Temperance knew how deeply upset poor Billy was this morning. <laughs> oh. oh, I like that. Oh. I like that a lot. So yeah, even though he too. can't, even though he can't talk. Yeah. Yeah. I think that every night, one of these more sensitive children, I think they have like very intense night terrors. So there's always some child each night that has something more than just a bad dream and can't go to sleep. Very nice. Good. And I think that when the wounded night happens periodically or throughout the night, as the night goes on from beginning to end, subtly in the background, the children, the children begin to hear first faintly and then louder and louder and possibly possibly overwhelmingly depending on sensitivity is a strain of of music is it a is it a flute is it a is it a is it a is it a banjo is it something jovial or whatever but whatever it is they start to hear this and if someone is not watching them they might just decide oh this is an interesting this is you know it casts some sort of like hypnotism on them and they wander out of town possibly into the desert to an unknown fate they follow this this music wherever or whatever it is coming from fantastic i love it thank you all everybody that was great and then the next part of the desk phase is i would like for everybody to tell me now i'm going to ask you what you each want to do during the upcoming night phase bearing in mind you don't have a lot of time it's a really brief phase it's only like it's essentially one scene each And also, I also like to remind you that while the day belongs to you, meaning you get to generally do whatever you want to do, the night belongs to me. So no matter what you've you've said you want to do, I'll take it into consideration, but I'm still going to do whatever I want to do. But I do want to hear your thoughts. And so, Max, what do you think you want to do tonight? Well, we've already established that I have to... You gotta uh, meet have with, a scene with, with Hannah Russell. Hannah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I, I have like to that. give her a land deed. That sounds good, Miranda. I want to get together with everyone else and compare notes. 
Good, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> so a little meeting with the, the, the rest of the Vigilance Committee. Yeah. Uh, we meet at the uh, wagon? <laughs> no, no, let's meet at my bar. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, the saloon. Yeah, we gotta, we gotta have a scene at the saloon, we, right? I yeah. have this freaking yeah. bar. I want to use it. Yeah. yeah. There's so many characters there. It's so I know, much, there's it's, cool yeah, characters yeah, I want to yeah. interact with, but yeah. I haven't had the chance to yet. So hanging out at the saloon, I like that. Uh, Jack yeah. Walker, what about you? If I'm possible, I can probably roll this into two because it's very simple. Uh, I like the black glove idea from previously, or I do want to buy that just to be like, because he doesn't want to unnecessarily actually kill anybody whose time has not yet come, right? <laughs> right so yeah. he wants to do that, but then uh, I think he wants to, especially after reaching into his uh, recognizing certain symbols, perhaps in the occult book that he carries with him, he wants to take a flip through that book of his and see... Uh, perhaps this book might have some information regarding this particular spirit, or not, but it's a book on the occult. Perhaps there's something in there. Indeed, indeed. You might even get the attention of Lady Antonia Eurydice Bathsheba Hargrave Steele. She might, she, she might <laughs> now, sense who she senses a lot. She might sense who you are. That would be a, that would be an interesting interaction for sure. It would be indeed. Uh, Reverend Potter, it sounds like you were going to the saloon then. Yes, I think okay. he's very interested in. Uh, Sharing what he's learned. <laughs> so the night phase is really special. The idea behind the night phase is it's incredibly cinematic. We don't get to see much. We just see some big moments. Mm. And these big moments are intercut with something called the unseen. The unseen is a scene that's taking place somewhere else in the state of Texas, not even in El Paso, it could be hundreds of miles away. The idea here is the unseen is taking place on the same night as the night in El Paso. And even though these two things have nothing to do with each other, they can resonate thematically or visually or via some kind of motif or something like that, right? and therefore create a more cinematic storytelling experience. Now, in the game that this comes from, the Between, the original Between, the Unseen was another part of London. So we got to see another part of London while the, the hunters did their th hunting in London. Here we see another part of Texas. And so your job, whenever we start the night phase, as a player, because you get experience points if you do it, is to get what's called an echo in the night. So you are helping narrate the unseen. And what you want to do is narrate something into the unseen that is subtly or even not subtly connected to what's happening in El Paso, a theme, a color, a visual, just anything really. And if you do that, that's called an echo in the night and you get experience for doing mm. it. So, mm. uh, so I'm going to introduce the unseen to end this session. Our unseen for this night phase it's called a dog's walk. A dog's walk. A yellow dog with short hair and pointy ears lives under a barn on the edge of Dallas, a town of less than 5,000. A partially collapsed root cellar is now this dog's humble abode. It is dry and cool in the day, and an old horse blanket keeps it warm at night. So I'm looking forward to that, uh, but that's all we've got for tonight. I hope you all had a good time playing the Between Ghosts of El Paso. Oh, this is I am having, ah. yes, I'm having a blast. Super cool. Mm. Good, good, Love good. It. I'm glad. <laughs>